all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. on MPB Think Radio, Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center with you on this rainy morning. This is the program where we take your calls about any kind of healthcare question or perhaps a comment that you might have about something that maybe somebody else said or on a previous program. You can call in today. You can reach us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. That's right. This is your chance to call in with some questions you might have. We're going to do our best to give you those answers. Uh, would encourage people to go ahead and call in now. Uh, we typically have a, lot, a little bit more time in the first part of the hour to answer phone calls. Um, and rather than the latter part of the hour. I always hate to cut people off just because we don't have the time to do that. I uh, do want to encourage you to email, too. As I mentioned, we have some emails that we'll probably get to today. We try to respond to those individually, but also if uh, you give us permission, we can uh, share that, at least the information on the air, uh, so that it can go out to everybody else. Well, we are right in the middle of uh, typical Mississippi spring weather, uh, lots of bad weather coming through. It's a good time to think about <clears throat> not just yourself, but other people in your family, maybe your extended family that may not live with you, to make sure that should something happen, like the power going off or uh, if there's a you know sort of an emergency situation, what kind of health care needs are they going to have? Um, do they have portable oxygen that they're on? Do they have medications that they may not um, they may not can do without for a day or two? It's always nice to sort of have that uh, a preparation. A lot of people have sort of an emergency bag of things too, uh, first aid kits. Um, having an emergency plan that you go over with your family is very important. Probably should do that at least once a year. Uh, and making sure that you have everything, just practical things, uh, batteries and flashlights. Uh, if you have candles, use those. Uh, certainly know where those are and uh, make sure you can get to them uh, easily. have a lot of... Um, elderly patients that uh, they depend upon lights at night to get up and down out of bed. Uh, so it's uh, probably a good idea to have that flashlight uh, that's uh, available rather than having to go to a different part of the house to search for it. So having it right there where they can get to it is a good idea. And then, of course, just some practical things. You know, certainly uh, if you are in an area that has that's lower uh, in elevation, and is prone to flooding, please remember flash floods kill a lot of people. And if you're in your vehicle, that doesn't protect you. Uh, you cannot look at, uh, at the water and accurately uh, judge the depth of that water. So you may want to keep that in mind uh, if you're going over a roadway. Even familiar roadways sometimes can 
sort of uh, fool you from time to time. So just keep that in mind as we uh, go through this time of year. Certainly allergy season is in full force. Got an email to, to follow up about that in a little bit. But, um, you know, anybody living in Mississippi all their life knows that uh, the yellow haze that uh, sort of uh, descends on us like some kind of alien from another planet. Uh, we have clouds of this that just blow around during the springtime. And uh, we're right in the middle of, um, of tree pollen season. So it's not just that really, really um, uh, yellow, yellow pollen, which is from our pine trees, but the pollens you can't see, too. Um, there's a lot of them that are going out there that have just uh, got me doing my regimen. I hope you are too. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to our first caller now, Eric from Liberty, Mississippi. Good morning, Eric. Glad morning, you called. Doc. And uh, what's your question this morning? Uh, I, I see quite a few people in here tell of it, uh, you know, people that have an excessive swelling in their lower and upper extremities, and I was thinking that maybe this could partially be due to poor circulation, and because a lot of them say, when they, even when they go to the doctor, it's, they still don't correct it. They may be giving them uh, hydrochlorothorazide or some other stuff, but, you know, even have to drain it and stuff, but I was wondering, maybe is it a lack of nitric oxide in the body? Yeah, so that's, uh, Eric, that's a common thing <clears throat> that a lot of people have, is, and particularly in your legs. So upper extremities not as common, but in your legs, a lot of people are more prone to get some swelling there. So there are a lot of different causes for that. So there's not just one way that you can treat it without knowing what the causes are. Some of the more serious conditions that can cause that are things like uh, things like blood clots in the veins, uh, congestive heart failure. Uh, those are, are two conditions that certainly you can have swelling in the lower extremities. And, uh, you know, the, the, again, the treatment is different. You mentioned a couple of medications that are, that are used to treat it. Hydrochlorothiazide is a very poor uh, medication to treat lower extremity edema. It is a really good blood pressure medication, but after about six weeks of using it consistently, you really don't get a lot of effect of lower extremity edema. It's, it's a diuretic, a thiazide diuretic is the general class. There are other medications like Lasix that are loop diuretics that are much better getting it off. But you can run into some problems if you're just prescribed that without an evaluation of what's going on. Um, and you mentioned poor circulation, too. Poor circulation can mean different things. Uh, sometimes it can mean um, a problem with the arteries, and that's not getting enough blood flow to different areas of your body. Typically, that does not cause uh, increased swelling. Now, if there's a problem with your veins, which take that blood back to the heart, and then there's a, a decrease in that flow, a lot of times you can have what's called venous stasis disease, and that sort of swelling uh, or changes in your skin that look sort of brownish or reddish in color on your lower extremities. You can have varicose veins that can do that too. And then there's other conditions that decrease the amount of proteins in your bloodstream, 
And proteins do a lot of different things, but one of the things that they do is they help, help to hold that water uh, in the vascular space, in those blood vessels, so that it doesn't leak out into the periphery. Um, there are lymphatic conditions and a lot of surgical conditions. If you've had trauma to your lower extremities, uh, if they've had to remove a vein, um, all those things can impact lower extremity swelling. So it's not just a one-stop shop you know, for, for what you can do for that. And you're right. A lot of times, if you don't, um, if you don't uh, uh, know what you're treating, you're not going to get rid of that fluid. And sometimes, even if you do, it just it's just going to stay there. One common thing that we deal with in our state is obesity. So obesity, because of the effects around the veins, they just sort of push the more adipose or fat tissue that you have in your admin and your in your legs that just pushes on those veins and causes it uh, it's a lot harder for that uh, for that fluid to get back up to the rest of your body where it needs to go uh, and then salt is another one so the more salty a lot of people will notice this if they eat more salty foods maybe you had a barbecue or a, a crawfish bowl would be appropriate I guess this time of year uh, but if you you know have a, uh, eat some crawfish and there's a lot of salt in it next day you may notice that you're a little bit more more swollen so all those things can be causes of lower extremity swelling um, but it's not just one thing you can hang your hat on there's there's a I just mentioned some of the ones that are more common but it's about 10 to 15 different things that'll be in that uh, in that list but good point though Eric okay thank you sir yeah, and some of the things uh, some of the things you can do to help prevent that, um, as long as it's not some of the more serious things, if it's just a little bit of swelling, regular exercise is important because it helps. There's the muscles surround those veins and they help pump that blood back to the heart so that it doesn't pull in the lower extremities. That's usually why if you're sitting for prolonged periods of time and you're more prone to swelling, it gets worse during those times. So if you're on a long car ride. Uh, it's a good thing to to get up and uh, uh, move around more during those those periods of time, uh, and then just getting regular exercise. Losing weight can help. Almost everybody who loses weight, um, they um, they tend to have less swelling. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls or comments about any healthcare questions that you might be inquiring about. I had a great question to start off the hour from Eric. Uh, don't ever think that you don't have an important question. Uh, it's probably what we find is uh, for every question that we receive on the air or by email, uh, we've got a lot more people out there that are like, you know what, that was just exactly what I was 
uh, thinking about. So the number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. And speaking of mpbonline.org, uh, you can go to that website and do all kinds of things. But one of the things you might want to do is search for archived programs. We do archive our our programs. It usually takes us about 24 hours to get up uh, on the air um, uh, or on the internet rather. Um, but um, uh, if you miss something from a program or want to go back and listen to it, you certainly can go to the website and do that. All right, we're going to go to our next caller. I believe it's Joe and Pope. Good morning, Joe. Thank you for calling. And what's your question this morning? Hello, doctor. Uh, you you know, for uh, swelling in the feet, you lay flat. Just lay flat or elevate your feet, you know, and that will take it out if it's mild, you know. And it doesn't have require any medication. Also, if you have to stand a lot, that's going to be deadly to you. You're not going to be able to stand. You're going to figure out how to sit down because it'll make it'll swell, swell up. Yeah, those are that's a good thing. That's just uh, basic uh, fluid dynamics. So raising yeah, yeah, your yeah. feet up, yeah, uh, helps it you know sort of drain. Another thing I would suggest too, because I don't want people just to lay around all the time if you have lower extremity edema, and this is something that a lot of people sort of shy away from. Uh, if your physician or your your healthcare practitioner, if they say, "Hey, you really need some compression hose or stockings," that can help too. So it provides some external yeah, compression. That works. And, uh, yeah, that, that works. But it, you'll have a ring. What it'll do? It'll ring where the compression stops. <laughs> yeah. So what you what you got to do is you, you really need those over the knee if yeah, it's yeah, if yeah. it's uh, significant, and that'll help out with that. But right, you know, we, bandage we, can we do. It just those... depends on how severe it is. It's not everybody's the same, as you know, and so. But I'm just mildly initially when it starts happening. And I guess it's it started happening to me when I was 64, 63. Yeah. And I wonder, do I have, you know, I don't think I have congestive heart failure. I ran a whole lot, but my doctor didn't tell me, you know, what I, why. He just said take triamterine hydrochlorothiazide, not one little small pill a day. That's it. That's what I take. And it, yeah. as long as what, I don't have to stand probably, too much, I'm okay. Yeah. What you probably have is um, as you get older, the valves in your veins don't work as much, and yep. that causes a little bit of that. But yep. continued activity actually will help, not just standing in one place but moving around. Right. Um, the standing in one place is no good. Yeah. And some yeah. people are trapped having to stand at certain work. They, they are. Farmers, they can't sit down all day, or people that work at Walmart or something like that, you know. Yeah. Movement. Movement is good, though. I mean, it's uh, actually there's great studies on, you know, a lot of people will have standing desks and actually there's more data to support that that prolongs life than sitting down. So that's something to think about, too. But definitely moving around and some of those other things you mentioned are important. But again, the, the most important thing is making sure that you know the reasons why right. um, that uh, that you have that uh, that. Uh, lower extremity swelling or edema. Yep. Yes, sir. Thank you for all right. uh, your all right. very informative program. Okay, be listening. Oh, thank, thank you. I appreciate your call. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call if you have a question or comment is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 
kudos to everybody who is getting or uh, plans to get their vaccine or the ones who already have. We're doing very well in the state. Still got a ways to go to get uh, all the way to the point where uh, we can decrease at least, uh, uh, you know, a, a transmission in the community. Um, the main thing people are looking at right now are the variants, uh, the uh, other variants of uh, COVID that have popped up. Uh, you know, the South African variant, there's a, a UK variant. The UK variant and the South African variant are very prevalent already in the state. There tends to be some good ev early evidence that our vaccinations, all three of them that we have, both Pfizer and Moderna, and then the Johnson Johnson tend to be uh, at least partially protected against those. But again, um, success with this would be very quickly, as quickly as we can to get everybody vaccinated uh, to decrease the spread of it. Because in particularly in other countries, I'm sure you heard about what's going on in Brazil, which is not all that far away. Uh, unfortunately, we're not, uh, you know, we're not as isolated as we used to be. And if one country, uh, particularly one as large as Brazil, has that many uh, cases of uncontrolled coronavirus, uh, it could it could pose a big threat to the rest of the world. So it's it's incumbent upon us to do what we can to do that. A lot of people have asked about what do you do when you get your vaccine? Because some people have heard about some of the side effects of the vac vaccine, particularly fever or muscle aches and pains. And they've asked about, can I take ibuprofen, uh, Advil, things like that, or Tylenol before I get that? And there's a little bit of, you know, misunderstanding about that or uh, conjecture about, you know, what would impact the, the uh, efficacy or how well the vaccine works if you take those medications. And a lot of vaccine experts will say the best thing to do is to not take anything before you get the vaccine. There's a couple of reasons for that. Again, the first one is your body is going to be ramping up its normal immune response to that vaccine, whichever vaccine it is. And um, it will be producing antibodies. It will be producing, activating uh, a lot of memory cells that should provide uh, hopefully long-term um, protection against that. And sometimes those medications that help with those symptoms can interfere with that. Another thing to, uh, to keep in mind is that if you have adverse reactions, we're still really leaning on people to uh, report those. I've, after I got vaccinated, my last one, my second dose was in January. Uh, I'm still participating in the VSAFE online monitoring program where they contact me with a text and ask me about any symptoms. Well, if I'm taking Tylenol or, or uh, ibuprofen around the time of the vaccine, you really may not be able to catch those as much. So I tend to tell people, don't take those beforehand. Go ahead and take the vaccine. If you get side effects, uh, you can take uh, one of those. I tend to, you know, unless you have contraindications, lean toward Tylenol just because it's a centrally acting agent and doesn't interfere with things as much as the NSAIDs do, like Advil or ibuprofen. Uh, but that's something to think about. I probably would not do that across the board. You know, we've done this, we've allowed this from a pediatric standpoint with uh, Tylenol, giving a dose of Tylenol before vaccinations for infants, uh, just from a pain standpoint and uh, possible low-grade fever or sort of borderline fever, but really not a whole lot of evidence that that helps. 
Um, so I would be one to lean towards if you have symptoms after you get the vaccine, you can go ahead and take something. But if you can't, you know, if they're mild, don't take anything at all and just let the body do its thing about ramping up the immune response. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to David in Mobile. Good morning, David. How's the weather down south? Uh, well, it's down south. Uh, <laughs> we're having a muggy uh, morning uh, in the mid-70s with possibilities of rain this afternoon. All right. What's, uh, what question or comment do you have this morning? Okay. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on health care professionals and the vaccine. And here's what uh, brought this to mind. Uh, my wife and I, uh, over the last several months, have been going to our uh, dentist for cleanings and, you know, uh, other uh, procedures. And I, uh, the last time there, got to talking with uh, the uh, clinician who was cleaning my teeth, and we got talking about vaccines. And she indicated that she had not been vaccinated and was not going to get the vaccine. And then I found out that no one other than the dentists themselves uh, had not and were not going to get the vaccine. Now, you know, uh, this uh, woman who was cleaning my teeth was within, you know, two feet of me. Now, my wife and I have both been fully vaccinated. Well, I, uh, I'm thinking, okay, we want to find another dentist. And so I started calling around and I found that a number of the dentists, uh, their staff, you know, were not vaccinated and were not planning on getting the vaccine. So if I may, your thoughts on, you know, dentist physicians, um, uh, electing not to uh, get the vaccine and the wisdom of that. Sure. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and we uh, we got vaccination uh, vaccine early on um, in in early December. We were one of the first distribution sites here at UMMC in Jackson. And one of the first things we did is to try to, you know, along with the, our health departments, to try to figure out what's the best strategy to protect patients. So the thought process is in that you want to protect your most vulnerable patients and the people who take care of them uh, and have multiple interactions with them. So that would include physicians, nurses, other healthcare professionals. And, and then, you know, you have a tiered system uh, out, outside of that. So we had... We know, for instance, that individuals over age, particularly over age 70, have a much, much higher risk of having complications from COVID. Uh, we know certain groups, particularly African-Americans, have a much, much greater risk. So uh, focusing in on those groups makes sense. At this point, though, really we're talking about the entire population. And I agree, if you have an individual who has multiple interactions with people that are a little bit higher risk and Distance is one of those. Certainly respiratory secretions is another. Uh, you know, most every dentist office I know, everybody wears a mask. That does ca uh, cut down on the transmission a little bit. 
But right. personally, I, I think everybody should. Now, here's the here's the part that's a little bit different. You know, in our organization, unless you have a valid reason for um, for not getting a flu vaccine, it is required of every employee at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So uh, valid reasons would mean you know, if you had an allergic reaction to that, if there was a medical condition that prevented you from, from getting it. But otherwise, everybody is required. We, we have not, to this point, required COVID vaccine, mainly because it is still uh, not fully approved by the FDA. It is approved under their emergency use authorization. Correct. So that's one of the things that gets a little bit sticky is, okay, this is an emergency use um, vaccine, so we can't necessarily, a lot of organizations are saying we can't really require that. But I have heard of several hospitals in the area that are now, for their employees or students rotating through, requiring that for them to do that. So, you know, it's a little bit disappointing to hear things like that. It is an end. It's it really, it's this intersection of individual choice versus um, you know protecting the greater population in high risk areas. So I, I would be all for that. I would be all for all the airline industry, for instance, in getting vaccinated. I'm not even sure what they're doing or if they're requiring that of their employees. Um, so I, I think we're still early on in this disease, even though we're more than a year in here. Um, these are the kind of questions that come up quite a bit. I do know of physicians, um, not a whole lot, but some and uh, nurses who have refused to get the vaccine. Um, a lot of times when I've asked them why the reasons are not, um, <laughs> are not really, you know, scientifically valid or there, they are concerns, but they're concerns that aren't really backed up by the science and what we know right now. And I've tried to share that as much as possible, but when it comes down to it, it is an individual decision. So, you know, I, I and, and, you know, I keep looking, I mean, if that's a, you know, something that y'all, y'all are you know, really wanting a, in a dental home, um, I, you know, I can tell you here, our dental school is, was um, one of those that, you know, they really um, participated in, in the vaccinations here on campus too. So yeah, it's, it is disappointing a little bit, but right now, even beyond that, we're really talking about the entire population and to, to gain and to maintain, to gain in, uh, to the point and maintain herd immunity, which means protecting the most vulnerable people by a wall of vaccinated people around them, we got to get to 70 to 80 percent of the total population. And, you know, good news yesterday, I saw late yesterday afternoon, I saw some uh, some of the information from the early trials, uh, Pfizer down to age 12 and uh, really safe, looks good, good early immunity with antibodies in that age group. So I think, you know, even those younger individuals that probably wouldn't have any problems with getting coronavirus, they can still spread it, sometimes asymptomatically. Um, and the vaccines, um, you know, at this point, they not only prevent severe infection, but they prevent transmission. So I've heard a lot of patients say, well, you can still get it and you transmit it. You're just not going to have a hard time with it. Not true. We didn't have that evidence before, but we do now that it actually prevents you from getting that virus and spreading it. So that's better and better news on the vaccine front. Not a whole lot of side effects uh, that are serious with any, uh, all three of these uh, that we have available to us. So thanks for bringing that up. I, I, I guess what I could tell you is we need more cheerleaders um, to say, hey, 
we need to do this. We need to get on board with this and get everybody vaccinated so we can get back to doing what we uh, what we want to do. Okay, so uh, uh, would your thoughts be that with the situation with our dentist, then that legitimate reason to be looking elsewhere? Um, I think that's an individual choice you have to make. Now you mentioned <laughs> it both, with, you know. I mean, you and your wife are, are oh. vaccinated, and they uh, presumably are wearing masks when they're doing that. But, um, you know, the safest thing would have everybody vaccinated and then the usual things that you would do in a dental office. Right. Um, but, okay. you know, you sort of have to weigh that weigh that with the risk. Well, uh, you know, in addition to that, I was noticing, you know, uh, and the things you don't observe when you go to your dentist, their x-ray uh, equipment was at least 20 years old. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, then the, you know, the lights uh, where the hygienist, uh, you know, uh, sees into your mouth. Uh, you know, there were bulbs burnt out. So the vaccines and the outdated equipment uh, just, uh, you know, kind of uh, little warning signs that we just had never thought about. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it's okay. funny when you start looking for things. Sounds like you got enough to look for enough for another uh, dental home. So, <laughs> no, no, no. Well, hey, <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank David. you so much for your help. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Think Radio, Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning, answering your questions uh, and kind of fielding comments about different things. Got some great questions and discussion this morning. The number to call if you would like to call in this morning is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. <clears throat> On that subject you were discussing with the last caller. I've heard on NPR radio that uh, some countries are not going to allow people in unless they have a vaccine passport showing the, a document or a card or something showing they've been vaccinated against COVID. And um, so I'm I'm wondering if it's going to get to the point where the government or somebody, the health department, is going to require that everyone gets it. Will they force you to get it? Can they force you to get it? And also, why, why aren't parents who did not vaccinate their children when their childhood vaccinations 
their immunizations. I don't know if there's a lot of that still going on because I think to get in school now, you have to show that kids have been vaccinated. But why weren't they hounded? They're the ones who should have been hounded about vaccinations, but adults have the right to make up their own mind, you know. Yeah, that's a good vaccination point, Sue. I, I've heard the same kind of thing, and actually I have one of my um, uh, patients uh, is having to travel uh, with a trip outside the country, and, you know, every country has a little bit different what they're, uh, what they're requiring. Some of them require vaccination status. Um, some of them require a test, a PCR test, within a certain amount of time before travel to be negative. So every country is a little bit different. And uh, the passport type situation, it's really difficult. You know, we don't have a very good way of keeping up with that digitally in the United States. Now, everybody who got vaccinated should have gotten a, an actual vaccination card. So these are the cards. If you're old enough, you remember they used to give you bring this to your pediatrician's office or your physician's office, and they actually write down in pen and ink um, uh, uh, you know, the, the lot number and when they gave it and where they gave it and that kind of thing. So it's sort of old school, but you can take that with you right now. I've encouraged everybody to keep up with that. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, as to your, your, your comment about, you know, is the government going to mandate this? Probably not. Um, the government has never mandated that, uh, for everybody. And we've had massive vaccine, you know, pushes over the years. And to keep things in perspective, too, you know, uh, vaccines are great, but we have only eliminated one virus from this planet. Um, so that's, that's you know, what we have done uh, uh, so far. So smallpox, gone. So everything else is sort of in check, but it requires that we continue to uh, to vaccinate for most of those uh, over time. Um, so I don't think I don't think though we'll see a mandate for that. Now you're right. A lot of people opt out of that for their kids. Um, public schools, private schools, they re they require vaccination statuses that are set up by the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics in normal schedules, unless there is at least every state's a little bit different in this state. It's um, you have to have a valid medical reason um, that is um, that is uh, signed off on by the uh, State Department of Health uh, and that person's physician that that allows you to do that. Now, you can skip that, not get vaccinated, but your kids will have to be homeschooled and uh, an entrance into college is another point where they would have to show vaccination status. So. Um, Here's my here's my thing. I believe in vaccines. They have been successful other than, um, you know, I, I can't think of any other thing besides modern sewage and sanitary techniques that have saved more lives uh, in the last 200 years than vaccinations. Right. Um, they are very effective. Uh, they tend to be safe. That doesn't mean that they're totally safe. There are side effects with anything that we do in allopathic medicine and and other medicines for that matter. Uh, herbal remedies, there's some risk there. So there's always some risk, but as a whole, vaccinations have been very successful in uh, preventing a lot of deaths, uh, particularly in childhood. That's been the biggest decrease in the death of kids early on and having long-term complications like with polio. Uh, uh, so I, I think education and, and in 
Um, on that with, with families and patients, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of misconceptions about how vaccines work. Um, but engaging with people about that and making sure that we listen to some of the concerns that they have, I think is the best way to approach that um, with, with families that may have some concerns. So those are all great points, Sue. Um, I don't know the answers to all of them, particularly as we travel and, uh, you know, people are going to different places. Besides the fact is know what, know what people are requiring, know what countries are requiring in airlines and uh, sort of go by those guidelines. So thank you, Sue. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. All right. I think we lost Sue there. I think we have David in Philadelphia next. So, David, good morning. Uh, yes, good morning. I have, well, you brought up the second question. Now, uh, I really only wanted to ask one, but now you, you brought up the second question. Uh, one okay. question is, uh, are they uh, down on the border, are they checking those folks for COVID-19 as they come in? I know there's some getting over in this country that aren't being checked, but are they doing yeah, a pretty my, good job, you reckon? Yeah, my understanding is that, I, I don't know this totally but what i have heard is that they are doing uh testing screenings in the same way that a lot of other people are doing uh it's sort of similar to entrance into colleges so most colleges are doing this for people uh you know for students coming back uh, my wife does this for a smaller college that's one of her main um main jobs uh, this year has been and uh to uh coordinate the testing of uh of covid and in students coming back and particularly athletes. So my understanding is that they are checking at, you know, for COVID status with testing um, at the, at the borders. And that's, you know, it is, it is difficult to do that sometimes or just with the mass numbers of people, but that's, that's my understanding. And you said you had another question too, David? Yes. My other question is uh, my next door neighbor, Dylan Carmichael is letting his sewage water run out of the back of his uh, travel trailer and, I was wondering, is it, uh, I've complained about it for about a year. Ken, the sewage man, said he, he'll fix the problem, but it's been about six months now. So I was wondering, yeah. is, is there some uh, virus or something that I could catch from his water going onto my property? Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, yes, you could. Uh, so... You know, human feces uh, is not uh, is not innocuous. You can get a lot of stuff from it. You can get lots of bacterial illnesses from it. You can get viruses from it. We call that the fecal oral route. Uh, so it sounds terrible when we say that. Uh, and you're like, well, I wouldn't eat that stuff. But um, but it does get in different places. So if you walk through it, if it gets on your shoes, and then you handle your shoes, and then your hands go to your mouth, that's one way that you can. Uh, you can uh, contract different things. You can, uh, you know, in some areas, it can get into the groundwater uh, or uh, runoff water uh, without being properly um, broken down. There are a lot of treatment ways to do that. Um, you know, uh, if you don't have running sewage uh, systems, a lot of times you'll have either a seepage system where natural bacteria in the, in the ground do that, or sometimes it's treated in a tank. Uh, prior to being uh, the effluent or the water portion is being sprayed in different places. But yeah, the bottom line is you can get 
uh, human-borne illnesses that way. That's one of the major ways that people do it in third-world countries. Um, it'll wipe out a whole village in some areas or town uh, and go through there. That's very common in areas that don't have adequate sewage systems. So pretty dangerous uh, situation. I, if you sounds like you may have had some discussions with them. Uh, if it's on your property, though, you may want to, you know, talk about uh, taking that to the health department um, to see if they, you know, if they can intervene in that. But um, raw sewage, never a good thing just to dump out in the middle of, of, uh, of somebody's yard. Well, I spoke to the, uh, Ken, the sewage man who's over this, and he says uh, it's got to go through a system somehow right. for him to get this done. He has a septic tank sitting above tank above ground but it's not nothing going to it but his water is sewage water is seeping out onto my property because he lives on top of a hill like and I will I have to put dirt in that area or something in that area to, to clean that up or will he have to have to sue him to get him to do that or what yeah I, I don't know it's uh David that you may need to you know, some things you can do, you can plant different plants. Maybe this is, this is actually probably a question for Felder. Uh, it's that uh, there's lots of different plants that can help with that process and help to sort of break it down. After a period of time in the ground, sewage uh, in different situations, it is broken down, you know, to, its, uh, to be safe at that point. But that's, that's sort of either a natural or a tank-like system. But there may be some things that you can do uh, to help with that. I would investigate that a little further, sort of out of my expertise there, but I, I have heard of uh, people doing that to sort of uh, uh, clean that uh, messy stuff up. I'm trying to, to to select my words carefully here in talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, sir. Thank you. Have a good right, day. David. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning answering your questions and listening to your comments about different healthcare things that are near and dear to you. Got some great calls this morning. And just wanted to follow up right quick. Uh, one of our previous callers mentioned like what's required for entry into the country at borders. I don't think I was able to pull up a little bit of information there. So all passengers coming into the United States, including U.S. citizens, are currently required to either have a negative COVID-19 test result or documentations of recovery from COVID-19 before 
boarding a flight to the United States. So that's the current um, uh, rules about uh, travel uh, into this country. So that, that may answer some of those questions. All right, let's go to uh, Adam. We've got about five minutes left. going to try to squeeze in two uh, callers here. Adam from Columbus. Good morning, Adam. Uh, hello, Doctor. How are you? Good. What's your question this morning? Yeah. So I know we came uh, we came out with a vaccine for this this new virus that we uh, we don't really know much about it, and we were able to come out with a vaccine for it relatively quickly. But, Doctor, my question is, um, you know, how, how come we've never came out with a vaccine or cure for infirmities like uh, cancer, AIDS, HIV? or any other kind of infirmity, uh, because I know personally, you know, cancer has been pretty detrimental for my family. And, um, you know, I just want to know, you know, will we be able to come up with a vaccine for those type of uh, infirmities? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, there's a lot of research in those areas. So uh, several, uh, there's tons of vaccines that have been looked at for HIV because of how HIV works it's really, really difficult to get the immune system to recognize it and then to uh, deal with it appropriately. You mentioned cancer. Actually, there is a vaccine for uh, against cancer, cervical cancer, so HPV, uh, the uh, vaccine against uh, human papillomavirus, which is one of the major causes of cervical cancer in women. Uh, that is one that we've been able to already see a reduction in cervical cancer from that. There are other cancers that they look at vaccines, particularly melanomas, uh, where they uh, try to get the immune system up. So there, there's a lot of research in that. Uh, you may not hear about it, but it is going on. So I see that a lot. Um, let's go see if we can squeeze in Rachel from Eupora. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. Uh, Thanks for coming. You mention, I, I heard you mention last week that every organ in the body needs insulin. And so my question is, how can a diabetic get insulin to their organs? Okay, so if you're a type 1 diabetic, your pancreas normally makes insulin, but in a type 1 diabetic, it doesn't make enough of it, so it quits working for you know several different reasons. And then you have to give somebody insulin. So you, normally that's an injection or an infusion of it uh, through a pump. Uh, and that's the way that you, you know, you, you deal with a, a lack of insulin. In type 2 diabetes, there is a resistance to insulin. So it, uh, it's not that you don't make enough insulin. It's that your body is not as sensitive to it as it used to be. So it's almost like for somebody who's hard of hearing and you have to talk louder, the same thing happens in, in the body when there's not, uh, you know, when there's a resistance to it. You can give additional insulin to a type 2 diabetic. That's one of the medications that we use to treat it. Uh, but it, it, it's one that you can use other medications like metformin or some of the uh, 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 glucophage uh, is a trade name for that or uh, other medications that sort of manipulate that, that hormone process. But you still need insulin, though, in some levels. So even in type 2 diabetics, it's just usually it's that their pancreas is working overtime to work against that resistance, uh, and it's just doing the best job that it can. Does that make uh, sense? Well, yes, uh, but I'm still concerned. How do, how do I make sure that my organs are getting the insulin that they need. Are you a type 2 diabetic? Yes. Yeah. They, it, 
there's not really we don't measure for that because it really is about blood sugar. If it's not, um, you know, if if you're not getting enough insulin, uh, your blood sugar is going to be a lot higher. That's not something that we typically um, check in every diabetic, particularly if you're t a type two diabetic. Um, so it's more important to get those glucose levels in the right uh, in the right uh, uh, range. But yeah, if you're type two diabetic, you you've got enough on board that you're you're going to have enough insulin to get that glucose in. It's just that resistance of it, which is why you need the medications, or in some instances, treating it with insulin as well. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app.